Good morning. Once again, we want to acknowledge to our, not as bright up here as it usually is, uh, want to acknowledge to our Father and our God in heaven that we are grateful for all of his love, mercy, and blessings. Uh, one of the things that we ought to be grateful for is that uh, our hope does not reside in our circumstances, uh, nor uh, in the state of affairs in this world in which we live. Uh, our hope resides in the fact that, thank you, Brother Bruce, uh, our hope resides in the fact that God is in control and that he knows what he is doing. While we may be tempted to question uh, what God allows or what God is doing, uh, may we be ever mindful of the fact that God knows better than we do uh, about anything and everything. Uh, thus, our lot, lot is not to serve as critical analyst of what God does. Uh, our lot is to submit to his word and will trusting that the judge of the earth will do uh, what is right. The psalmist declares in Psalm 1 verse 6, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That God is on the throne, that God is in control, that he knows better than we do, and that he desires the very best for us, are all things for which we ought to be eternally grateful. We want to direct your attention again to uh, the text that was read into our hearing there in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we want to read again uh, verse 24 and verse 26. Matthew 7 verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Again in verse 26, and every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Based on the words of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 7, we want to use this morning as a subject, the two builders. Recall that for the month of September, uh, we are using as a sub-theme parables of Jesus, and in particular, we are uh, giving consideration to parables in which the number two uh, is prominent. And as we consider the text that we have before us here in Matthew chapter 7, I, I submit to you again that Jesus often used the number two in a very significant way. In Matthew chapter 7 alone, Jesus spoke of two ways, two trees, and two builders. I further submit to you that the use of the number two is due at least in part to the fact that the gospel of Christ Jesus is a matter-of-fact message. One either obeys the gospel or one rejects it. 
One is either alive in Christ or dead in sin. It was Jesus himself who declared in Matthew 12 and verse 30 that he that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Now, let me further say that quite often when we read Matthew chapter 7, uh, we readily see its application to the denominational world, and, and rightly so. But we would do well to appreciate that the message of Jesus's words is just as applicable, if not more so, to the church. Based on the teaching of Jesus, it must be acknowledged and admitted that even in the Lord's church, there are some that act foolishly, teach falsely, and think fatally. Now, I know this because Jesus likened the kingdom of heaven to a net in which some of the fish were going to have to be thrown back. Now, the kingdom of heaven and the church are synonymous terms. And Jesus said, I know every fish in the net is not a good one. At the end, some of them are going to be thrown back. He also declared himself to be the true vine from which some branches must be purged. Now, I'm not a botanist or anything like that, but I would suspect in any plant, in any tree, that not every branch is a good one. That, that some of them need to be clipped or pruned so that the good ones can grow uh, better. If we examine the whole of Matthew 7, a common thread to be seen is that of making choices. We must choose which way, which road we will travel. We must choose what type of fruit we will produce. We must choose whether we will obey or disobey, and we must choose on what we will build. Now, the text before us here in Matthew 7 marks the end of Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. If we have heard what the master taught, one of the uh, takeaways from his message is that being a hearer only is insufficient. And, and, and let me liken the hearer here to someone who has obeyed the gospel, but then the sum of my Christian experience, uh, for the most part, is just showing up at church assemblies. Now, that's good, but God calls us to something more than just being present in the assembly. When we look at the message that Jesus wants us to get here, uh, the fact that just being a hearer uh, is not good enough is prominently seen in the pa uh, parable of the two builders. Jesus, as he was in the custom of doing, divided people into two categories, those with him and those against him those who have on a wedding garment and those who do not, sheep and goats. Jesus divided people into two categories, but not as man divides himself. See, men divide over race and social class and politics and the like. Uh, you know, when you listen to the news, when, when you hear uh, uh, of division, it's almost always one of those. 
It has something to do with money, something to do with uh, uh, what race you were born to, uh, uh, something to do with what your political ideology is. But the only distinction that interests Jesus is whether or not we will obey the gospel message. Jesus is not concerned about your skin color. He's not concerned about what political party you affiliate yourself with. What Jesus is concerned with is, will you obey me or not? When we look at Matthew chapter 7, again in verse number 24, Jesus said, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and do with them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, here's the other class in, in verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. We need to consider the builders this morning. The builders are representative of those that have heard the word of the Lord. Now, I, I, I just want to add, it bears noting uh, that all who hear are builders, but it also bears noting that while Jesus restricted himself to dealing with hearers in this parable, all are builders, whether we hear or not. Now, I arrive at this conclusion based on what the apostle said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 in your Bibles. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, hold on to that, and when we get down to one of the other points, you'll see why that's relevant. But as Jesus related the parable, it is to be observed that the builders have both commonalities and differences. Now, the builders have in common that they both hear the word of the Lord. The gospel of Christ Jesus is a universal message. In 1 Timothy 2, in verse number 4, Paul declared concerning God that he would have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And again, you can see with God, it is not about what you look like. It is not about your personal ideologies. God wants everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. God is truly the God of equal opportunity. And by God's will and by God's design, the gospel is for all people and whosoever will let him come. Now, the builders have in common that they both heard the word of God. Now, hearing in and of itself is merely an auditory exercise. Uh, I, I know if we have some parents in the house, and I know I heard this as a child, uh, sometimes your parents would be talking to you, and then they'd ask you the question, do you hear me? Now, heaven help you if you say something smart like as loud as you're talking, even the neighbors could hear you. But, but what they mean is not just, is that this needs to be more than just auditory. Not just are you aware of what I'm saying, but is what I'm saying sinking in? Well, Jesus wants us to appreciate that I don't just want you to hear what I have to say. I, I, I want what I'm saying to sink in. Hearing in the context used by Jesus 
involves one's ears and one's heart. Now, we see this when Jesus explained the parable of the sower and the seed uh, in Matthew chapter 13. In, in verse 19 in particular, Jesus said, when anyone heareth the word of the, uh, of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. Now, what Jesus says there in verse 19 reminds me of Paul's experience on Mars Hill. You remember Paul there on Mars Hill that he preached to them about the one true God? And, and that message just seemed outrageous to some. You mean one God? We're familiar more with many gods. You, you know, we, we, we know Zeus and, and Neptune and Pluto and Jupiter, and I know I said some Greek and some Roman, but... Uh, they were used to many gods, and this idea of just one God was strange news to them. And, and so because Paul preached something that was contrary to what they had already embraced, uh, they, they just couldn't believe the message that Paul was preaching. Well, that experience is similar to what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23, verse 19. When Jesus talks about some that understand uh, not the message uh, of the kingdom, uh, he's not saying that they fail to understand because it's beyond their intellectual capability. What Jesus is saying is that they don't understand because they are spiritually unreceptive. Do you know there are religious people that are spiritually unreceptive to what the Bible has to say? For much the same reason that the people on Mars Hill couldn't appreciate that there was just one God. Now, let me say, if, if you can't understand one, you can't understand many. But you ever notice somebody struggle with the idea of one church? Well, they don't struggle with one church because it's beyond their intellectual capacity. They struggle with the idea of one church because they're spiritually unreceptive. Now, look with me, if you will, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, starting at verse 21 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21. Paul says, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, Paul says, first of all, in verse 21, God decided man is not going to outthink me. Now, now men may have ideas about what they need to do to be saved, but God said, but I've already got a plan and man is not going to outthink me. Man is not going to understand my plan by his own smarts. Man is going to understand my plan by having an honest heart and a submissive spirit. Then in verse 22, he says, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now see, there's already the problem. God has already decided you're not going to know me by your own preferences. I don't care what it is you want and what it is that you're looking for. You are going to know me by the manner that I choose to show myself. So now in verse 23, he says, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Now, Paul said there are some people when they hear the message of Christ Jesus, it makes absolutely no sense to them. But it's not because they are intellectually incapable. 
is because they are spiritually unreceptive. See, people come to God sometimes and they want to deal with God on their own terms. But Lord, I know I need salvation and I, I, I'm willing to be saved if you will save me this way. Now, now, they may not come right out and say that, but, but that's the attitude, that's the spirit. That's why when you read to them about baptism or one church, they're, they're telling you, I can't see that. Now, they're not telling you, I can't understand it intellectually. What they are telling you is that I'm spiritually unreceptive to the truth. Now, notice the verse 24 there, Paul says, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, Paul said the same message that some people see as foolishness, to other people is God's power to be saved. Well, what's the difference? Their attitude, their approach to the message. See, some are willing to submit to the message and some are not willing to submit to the message. So what the message becomes to me depends on my attitude and my receptiveness towards it. So when somebody tells you, I can't see how there can only be one church, believe them. They tell you, look, I can't see that. It, it, in my spiritually unreceptive state, this makes no sense to me. Now, you can't make a person want something. You know, you can show me what you want to show me, but if I choose not to believe it, I'm not going to, no matter how you show it to me. And the more you try to show it to me, guess what the likelihood is? The less I'm going to see it. Sometimes you just need to leave me alone, let God work on me, and maybe somewhere down the road, I'll be a little more receptive uh, uh, to what God says through his word. But when I make up my mind what's true, I will struggle with anything that is contrary to what I've already decided. In, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul said, In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the glorious light of the gospel of uh, Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, how does the devil blind somebody's mind? Well, they're already unreceptive. See, the devil can't make us do anything, but, but when I have the tendency, when I have the proclivity to do what God said don't do, uh, that, that's how God got Eve. He didn't make Eve eat the fruit. Eve wanted to eat the fruit even before he said something to her. Has God said, thou uh, shalt not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, Eve, Eve, that's what he said. We can eat all of the trees except for the one in the middle. She was clear about what God said. And all Satan said was, you shall not surely die. Well, now, Eve, how do you go to giving credence to what the devil says when you already know what God said? Because I want to eat of the tree in the first place. All I need is the wrong motivation to push me to do uh, what I want to do that God said that I can't. And then after they ate, what happened? Now the deception stares them in the face. You know, that's usually how sin works. Sin, sin said, you know, after it's got you and you suffer the consequences, sin take the disguise off and say, now here's what I am. Now you're just left with, if I had listened. Well, if you had listened, you wouldn't be having this conversation with yourself in the first place, which is why we need to listen. When we look at the two builders, the difference between the builders is not opportunity or access. 
The difference between the builders is what each chooses to do with the same information. Don't you know that's still true in our world today? The difference is not what translation we've reading from. Uh, the difference is not where I was raised or who I know. The difference is what we choose to do with the gospel message when it's presented to us. And for a whole host of reasons, sometimes people decide, I don't want to do what God said. Well, when you choose not to do what God said, you don't receive what God promised. But let us consider further the foundations. In verse 25, Jesus said, the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. In verse 27, he says, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew. Do you notice verse 25 and verse 27 read the same initially? Now, what happened, happened not because they had different experiences, because, but because they had different responses to the word of God. Verse 27, the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When we consider the foundations, According to Jesus, there are but two. That's either rock or sand. Building on the rock is equated to obeying Jesus's words, and building on the sand is equated to not obeying Jesus's words. Now, appreciate about a foundation. A foundation supports and upholds what is built on it. So the structure is only as good as the foundation. The rock as used by Jesus in this parable is a stable, secure foundation. By contrast, sand is unstable and constantly shifting. Thus, Jesus declared that those who build their lives, their spiritual houses on his word are building on the firm foundation. That sounds a lot like what Brother Bobo said when uh, he, he gave the call to worship. You know, whenever man decides I'm going to try to figure this out myself and do what I can figure out, he building on sand, which is why it doesn't work. But if man will listen to God and build on what God says, that's building on the rock uh, and, and that will work. And there's a dual application here. Now, I, I'll give you one application here and the other in the next point. Now, we can understand the storm in this parable to represent the storms of life. Now, standing on the word of God will sustain you through adversity. Now, of course, the question is how? How does the word of God sustain me through adversity? And, and if you stop and think about it, we have been in an adverse time. Now, not to say that we weren't in one before that, but for the last year and a half to two years, man, I think everybody has become a little more aware of the fact that we are living in an adverse time. Well, how does the word of God sustain us in an adverse time? Well, appreciate God's word is true and his promises are sure. In Proverbs 30 verse five, we read, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Now appreciate God's word is pure and his word is true and his promises are sure, 
But the word of God does not grant us immunity from adversity. However, it does ensure that we will triumph over trouble. So when we ask, how does the word of God sustain us through adversity? Number one is acknowledging that the word of God tells us that we will have adversity. You know, it's wishful thinking to believe that I'm going to go through this life and never have any rain in my living. You know, it rains everywhere. Even in the desert, it rains. Now, not as much as it might somewhere else, but, but there's rain everywhere. What we have to appreciate is just because it's raining doesn't mean we'll be washed away. See, rain helps you appreciate the sunshine. You know why we're thankful for blessings? Not because we're good people and we just know that blessings come down from God. Now, I pray that that's true. But you know, one of the things that will help you appreciate blessings is some trouble. One of the things that will help you appreciate a blessing is to have it taken away for a little while. Anybody in here ever been between jobs? Let me tell you, being between jobs will help you appreciate a paycheck the next time you get it. It, it will help you be wiser with a paycheck the next time it comes in. Well, well why does it take some adversity uh, for us to appreciate our blessings more. Well, remember God said we just dust. That, that, that's just the way dust is. You know, sometimes dust have to go through some trouble to appreciate how good you have it. Sometimes we have to see somebody else's circumstances to appreciate how blessed I am in my own. God's word ensures that we will triumph over trouble. And building one's life or one's spiritual house on anything other than the word of God, and it doesn't matter what else, is to build on the sand. Do you remember the words of King Solomon, Ecclesiastes 12, 13? Solomon says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, remember, Solomon had given us a look at life through Ecclesiastes 12. Solomon said, I gave myself to chasing everything that life had to offer. And I had the money and the position to do that. I mean, whatever this world had to offer, Solomon had it. He had a multiplicity of wives. He had great riches. He had a nice house. He ate well every day. I mean, whatever the world offered at Solomon's time, Solomon had it. And Solomon said, now hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Well, Solomon, what about all your stuff? All the money you had? Solomon's commentary on what the world has to offer is vanity of vanity. All is vanity. Solomon said, ultimately, that stuff amounts to nothing. Well, why would you say that, Solomon? Because one day you're going to die and leave it all here. It doesn't matter how much you have accumulated. When you die, you can't take none of it with you. He said, but you still got business even after you die. You got to face God. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. When we build, what we are building on is a matter of what we are following. If I obey the commands of God, I'm building on the rock. 
And if I do not obey the commands of God, and it doesn't matter whatever else I think I know, if I do not obey the commands of God, Jesus said, you're building on the sand. Let us consider third, the results. Again, one house founded on the rock and it fell not because it was founded on a rock. One house built on the sand and it fell because it was built on the sand. And notice Jesus doesn't say that one fellow was better at building a house than the other. The difference was the foundation. You get the impression from reading the parable that if the fellow that built on the sand had built on the rock, he would have been all right. The foundation was the problem. Now here's the other application I was telling you about. Observe that in this parable, there are two builders, two foundations, but only one storm. When you notice verse 25 and verse 27, initially they read the exact same. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew. Now it doesn't matter whether you read in verse 25 or verse 27, that's what they both say. This could have been one storm because what happened to one happened to the other. There is one storm, one test, that will come to everyone alike. The ultimate test of the judgment. The Hebrew writer declares, Hebrews 9 verse 27, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There is an unmistakable continuity in what Jesus teaches. In verse 21 there in Matthew 7, he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. The word of Jesus is the standard by which we will be judged in the last day. And do you know what Jesus does not do with us? He doesn't have religious debates with us. Jesus just tells us this is how it is. And it's the choices you have. You can do what I said, or you can disobey. Just know that there's a consequence for either one. In John 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. That's Jesus' way of saying, I'm not even going to argue with you. What I said is what I said, and what I said is true. Now, you can obey me, that's a choice you have, or you can reject me, that's a choice you have too. But just know whether you obey me or reject me, what I said is what you're going to be held accountable for uh, in the last day when you stand before God at the judgment. The result is based on what I choose to build on. It's not that we are necessarily better at building. The foundation is what made the difference, whether it's built on the rock or whether it's built on the sand. Now, Jesus says individually, all of us have to choose what we're gonna build our house on. Now, that becomes problematic when you see somebody building on the sand and you wanna warn them, look, you need to be over here building on the rock. Well, guess what? I get to choose what I build on 
And as much as you may want me to build on the rock, ain't a thing in the world you can do about me building on the sand if that's my choice. That's my choice. You can't make me obey God no more than Satan can make us disobey God. I get to choose which one I'm going to do. But Jesus wants us to appreciate, just know that whichever one you choose, there's some consequences associated with the choice that you made. Well, how do I get, how do I, how do I build on the rock? Well, we start by obeying the gospel message. Jesus requires that we hear the word of God. You can't obey it till you've heard it. Romans 10 verse 17 declares, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ. And, and you notice how Jesus talks in that ma very matter of fact tone, I'm not gonna argue with you. Except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Now you can cite whatever reason you want to about not believing in me. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am the Christ, you will die in your sins. In that same chapter, verse 21, he said, and if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot come. He requires that we repent of sin. Acts 17, 30, 31, uh, Paul there declares, the time of this ignorance, God winked, but now he commands that all men everywhere repent for he has appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance to all in that he has raised him from the dead. We must confess Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, Whosoever therefore shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. And again, you see that very matter of fact, Jesus said, I'm not interested in your reasons. I'm just interested in what you do. If you confess me, I'll confess you. If you deny me, I'll deny you. Then Acts 2.38, we must be baptized in water for the remission of sins. The first time the gospel message was preached, men responded verse 37 men and brethren what shall we do they wanted to know what is it that god requires of us to make this thing right in verse 38 peter answered repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of christ jesus for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit when we go down into the waters of baptism as a matter of grace and mercy god washes away our sins by the blood of christ jesus he puts his spirit inside of us and he adds us to the church of Christ. And the requirement then is that we live obediently in God's service. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul said, we ought to walk worthy of the vocation with which we have been called. That's kind of the same as the parents giving you that pep talk before you leave home, telling you now when you go out here, don't you embarrass me. You act like you had some home training. God is telling us when you go out into the world, don't you, don't you shame my name. You live like you are my child. Your speech, your behavior, your attitude should all be indicative of the fact that Christ Jesus lives in me and is not me you see. I'm just a vessel that he's working through. 
Perhaps you're here this morning, you're listening on one of the social media outlets, you want to respond to uh, the message. If you're listening on social media, we bid you to reach out to our elders at elders at laurelchurch.net. If you are here present in the assembly, we bid you to come forward as we stand and as we sing. 